Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mackie and Judd today, well, at least for a while, will be Zolgad and Collar. And gentlemen, let's start here. The biggest thing is that what we want to do is we want to get work done against a good team, okay? So it's important that uh, our guys know that we're not going to put up with any trash talking. We're not going to put up with any fighting you know we're not here for that we're here to get better and uh i, I you know hopefully our guys will know that and they'll have the same thing i mean uh coach marone and i have talked about it so uh, we're really all about getting work done we don't want to get <clears throat> in any kind of conflicts like they had apparently in washington i didn't see it but things like that matthew collar two days of joint practices uh, begin today at the tco performance center between the jacksonville jaguars and the vikings Leading up to their game on Saturday at uh, at U.S. Bank Stadium, what is your confidence that Zim and your guy uh, Marone can actually stop any potential? <laughs> Did you just balls? say your guy Marone? You're, you can't stand him, so he's your guy. <laughs> well, I mean, you covered him, and you said he's a complete. You know what? So we talked about this two days ago, but Zim put the edict out there: no fighting. This is going to be all good, hard work. What are the odds that we will not see any pushing, shoving, fisticuffs, or nastiness on these fields? I think that we will. Uh, maybe not fisticuffs. Maybe not one of those, uh, you know, giant fights that turns into national news for a week. But maybe just pushing and shoving. Things could get a little heated, a little testy, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's going to be, is it going to be hot today? I haven't looked. I'd have to look. I think it's going to be a, I think it's going to be a little more tepid than it has been the past few days so that, that's going to help. I think in the 80s maybe but less yeah. humid. We're still My getting we're still getting 85. Forecast. Yeah. Okay. We're still getting 85. If the humidity's by down that helps. So yeah, that does help a little but cuz it's been really hot out there the last couple days. I think we still get a little bit of it but with Mike Zimmer I you know, I think these guys follow what Zimmer says. So probably not anything too serious. So have you changed your uh, your thought process on, on these joint practices then? Because I'm I'm still with you. I don't. And I saw we we talked about this uh, two days ago on Monday on the show and about how that was coming off the Jets Washington joint practices where there were a bunch of fights, and we both said you do this and you're sort of tempting fate at times. And I get why teams like this. Now I read an article that evening saying that coaches actually love the joint practices more than preseason games because they feel that they can control things and they feel they can stop play and actually avoid guys being hurt. 
I see what they're saying, but it also strikes me, Collar, as sort of the God complex a little bit of if I can control things, it's going to be fine. I'm not sure I'm buying across the board that uh, that you can that coaches can control in those cases as much as they say they can. What I'm really surprised and confused about is after you go 13 and three last season and you generally stay very healthy throughout the year, aside from two random acts. I mean, whatever happened to Sam Bradford's knee and then you know Delvin Cook going down, but the rest of the roster stayed almost 100 percent healthy for the full season. And then you're adding something different to the mix to have the joint practice with Jacksonville. And the year before, you had a joint practice, right? Was it Cincinnati that they that yes, they went up against? They went to uh, they went there and practiced for a couple of days, and then played an exhibition game out there with uh, Teddy. And they had a lot of injuries that year, so I I don't know. I mean, if it was me, I would try to do everything the same as I had done it the year that I went thirteen and three. But I guess you know it's probably no big deal overall that a number of teams do this, and it probably doesn't have an impact one way or the other. The thing that I go back to, though, was Joe Thomas on his podcast saying that he thought that these joint practices were so much extra work for players that they should get paid for them. He said players despise them. They don't want to do it. It's a ton of work. Uh, that a lot of guys are going twice as hard as they normally would be in practice when they're trying to conserve uh, some of their energy for a long season. I mean, I already see this from these guys, like getting kind of worn down in camp and just trying to drag to the end of camp so they could get that little break in between of where it just goes to regular practice. And then you add this on top of that, Mm -hmm. and they've already got a bunch of guys dinged up. I mean, I I don't know where Everson Griffin is, for one. I, I don't know if he's injured or not. He hasn't been at practice. He's got something wrong, but but they won't say, correct? Right. So that's not a good sign. Can I ask you a question? And I've covered this too, so I just I don't get it. Why are injuries so taboo? Like if a guy I just I, I don't get it. What do do they get do coaches get frustrated in talking about these things? Do they not wanna do do they think if Griffin's ankle is screwed up and they tell a team that a team is going to spend a year targeting it? I mean I understand that you don't want to give a play-by-play of what happened to a guy or what's wrong, but it's like jump the shark now where Todd Bowles uh, ripped Terrell Pryor for admitting what, what was wrong with him. And, you know, Zim has spent all of training camp, basically. I mean, he looked around proudly the day he announced, I don't have to tell you. Yep. Why the why the why the paranoia about something that ultimately you just can't control in life? And you have to tell us eventually. When it comes yeah. to the regular season, you are forced to announce what your injuries are then. So why not just say what's going on with guys now? I don't know. I mean, I mean, I'm not ma- I'm not mad about it. I'm confused. I'm confused. The coaches spend so much brain power on something that ultimately they can't control. I don't think that. Other teams go after guys' injuries like maybe they used to back in the day. Uh, or even then, like if someone has a, a tweaked groin or hammy, like what what difference does that make? You know, if you don't put that out there. But okay, all right, if you don't want to do that, then we just speculate about everything. But so I don't know what's going on with Everson Griffin. Uh, Mike Zimmer would only say yesterday, I don't talk about injuries, but he's close. Don't worry, or something. It was like is he watching us right now? Uh, so, and, you're not, like, and by the way, Mike, you're not wor- you're not worried about it. You're just curious because he's yeah. not taking part. And, and that's the only way you can kind of figure out what's going on is just to sort of you have to still ask and you have to sort of gauge those reactions from Zimmer. Um, but the thing is that the, 
the point is just that they have already guys dinged up. Sure. Stacy Coley wasn't practicing yesterday. Rashad Hill wasn't practicing yesterday. Is, is Barr still out? Uh, Anthony Barr was back okay. yesterday, so I would expect that he'll probably play in this upcoming preseason game, and then we'll go from there. Uh, but when you already have guys dinged up a little bit, and then you're going in a hard joint practice where they're kind of turning it up, you know, there's the, there's that opportunity there for some other guys to get hurt, and any risk of that to me would be too much. So I'm not a big fan of this. Probably overall, it doesn't become a huge thing. Would be mm-hmm. my guess. Give, give me your best guess about if if this goes uh, as well as possible, Collar. If things work out great, what is what is the most that the Vikings get from these two days that they wouldn't if they if they just held their ordinary training camp practices? Like like what do you what do you get that you say? Thank God we practiced against the Jacksonville Jaguars because if it had been Vikings versus Vikings, we wouldn't have gotten this. The one thing you might get that's nice is just a look at a defense that plays differently than yours. So if Mike Zimmer said this yesterday, that a few of the teams in the league play a similar defense to what the Jaguars do, that they're going to play. So a few teams on their schedule are similar defensively to the Jaguars. So you kind of get a look at how you match up against that type of defense and it might be the same thing for you know on the offensive side where maybe they have some weapons or a system that you know you want to try to defend so you get a little practice at that because you're not going to get any practice at that in the preseason games mm-hmm. as, as much as we focus on how those go and everything I mean look at the defense they were playing against Kirk Cousins the other night I mean just like Straight man. We call it vanilla. Base defense. Yeah, that's right. The vanilla. Like, they're not trying. They're not scheming. Maybe later in the game they are a little bit to see if some of those guys understand concepts, the third and fourth stringers. But aside from that, I mean, you don't really get much out of it. So this might help you in that way. And then also the two coaches get to get together and the coaching staffs and they get to say, okay, what worked, what didn't, and, you know, what are you guys doing that we can pick up on? Because these two teams don't play each other and it's AFC, NFC. Right. So, what, so they could kind of help each other. At what point today are you going to walk across the field, extend your hand, and welcome Doug Marone? My who, hand? I'm going to hug you, him. Who you covered. Who, who You're going to give a man hug to a guy who you covered in Buffalo and thought was mm. one of the top ten National Football League coaches of all time. <laughs> Clearly one of the best. It goes Lombardi, yeah. maybe Belichick, uh-huh. yep. throw Hank Stram in, but after that, Doug Marone. He said there was a quote that he had that... He said something like, if I get this team to the playoffs, I'm a miracle worker or something like that with, with the Buffalo Bills. Now, the, the story with Doug Marone was kind of fascinating because he got there and sort of brought a college coach mentality to dealing with the media and things like that. So he was like super enthusiastic. He was trying to be kind of Rex Ryan-y. Like his, his interviews would be fun and he was just, you know, very chatty and everything else. But then something happened with the beat guys in the, in the media. Of course it did. Well, you know, I, I believe it went to an incident where he said that somebody was going to start and then they didn't. And then one of the reporters called him a liar, which I would never do myself. I mean, I, th- I think that's kind of ridiculous to do that. But I agree with you. I mean, a lot. Okay, they lie to it's us sp- constantly. It's, it's part of it's the game. Sports lying. It's sports line. It's actually part of the fun it's sports line. cat and mouse game we play with each other. You tell us something that's not true. We try to figure out what the truth is. Absolutely. It's a it's a lot of fun. Uh, so I I would I mean Zimmer can't always tell us the truth. I would never call him a liar, right? But because uh, it's part of the game that we play. However, that seemed to really turn things the wrong way. And then when there were a lot of struggles with him managing his team, he had players who were kind of going rogue or uh, 
you know, going against things that he said. He lost track of when a player was in a game once and left a star player on the sideline for a half. What? Jerry Hughes, I believe, is the player, was supposed to be taken out for a couple plays to cool down after he'd gotten in a little bit of a scuffle. Sure. And he ended up missing the whole half. And Marone basically said that he just lost track of him. And it was like, excuse me? You lost track of a star pass rusher? Uh, so there were, I can't remember every incident, but Fred Jackson, who was a veteran running back, called him out over practice schedules. He and Hughes got into it in practice. I mean, it ended up being kind of a bleep show how, as how we go along. How do you lose along. track of a player? I yeah. mean, I, yeah, I don't know. We were asking the same thing. Player, yeah. But how do you lose track of a guy who's actually vitally important to your yep. team? There, and then there were just a large number of punts from the other team's 35-yard line that just drove everybody crazy. So we it's at, not as bad as losing track of a player. So at one time, it was a it was never that we thought that Doug Marone couldn't coach football or mm-hmm. didn't know football because I think he really does. I think he is a very very smart football person. It was the game management and then the player person management mm-hmm. that he really struggled with and then struggled even more when he got criticized. And some of these guys, I mean Zimmer is almost the same way here. If you're a coordinator, the only time anyone comes up to talk to you is to go, "Hey coach, tell me why Xavier Rhodes is real good." And you're like, "Oh, I'm the defensive coordinator. That's all they're asking me today. That's great." Well, Xavier is very tall and very fast. He's great. When you're the head coach, it's <laughs> that you are the magnet for criticism for everything that happens to the team whether it's your fault or not, and I don't think that he liked that. Maybe his second time through it's different. Maybe the Jacksonville media is a lot less harsh. Um, he took over a team that hadn't made the playoffs in, I think at that time, maybe a decade or more. So maybe maybe it's a little different situation, I'm he doesn't, but we're but not, not going to bro hog. But I'm basically hearing you say he doesn't have people skills, which which is okay if it's just with the media, but if it's with your players, that becomes a problem. Yeah, it was both. In Buffalo, like, it was both. Like, Zim doesn't care about the media, which I'm fine with, but I feel I feel in the locker room, he is liked and respected and so that's all that ultimately is important is that the players like him. Well, I think that or, or respect him, not even like him, respect him probably is the best word. I think he learned. I think Zimmer learned from his experience in 2016 of certain things that he can and cannot draw from Bill Parcells these days. Um, and that last year he applied some of that even when they went through tough times early in the season. He didn't call his players soft or anything like that, and he stayed with the message of believing in his players. And so that's what we've heard already about the offensive line, that he has stayed with, I believe in these guys, they're tough, I think they can do it, as opposed to... Tipping his hand I to miss the, old days. the offensive line. Yeah, I miss so, the old days. But I think these guys are a bunch of softies, and this interior right. line's terrible. And my God, I hope I get my regulars back. I miss the old Zim. But I think he's. I think he's learned a no, little he bit. Has. I think he's learned he's a, a smart little guy. bit. And maybe, and maybe Doug has too. That was his first experience as an NFL head coach. And I, Zimmer has said before how hard that is because yep. you're just not ready for it, no matter how much football you've been around in your life. The show is Mackie and Judd. Uh, the plant for today. In the fluid uh, nature of 1500 ESPN these days, Matthew Collar, who covers the Vikings for us, will be in uh, until about 10:30 or so. We will be doing plenty of National Football League and Vikings talk, and then Phil will join for the final two hours, in which we'll have uh, Minnesota sports prop bets, over unders. Dan Hayes of the Athletic will join to talk Twins. We will certainly touch on uh, the Vikings as well. Let's come back, Matthew, and let's discuss a potential change in the Vikings defense that could be a big deal and it could be positive. That's next, Mackie and Judd. Mackie and Judd will return shortly. Just a reminder, this station does not endorse this. On 1500 ESPN. Back 
Mikey and Judd is uh, Zolgan and Collar until 10.30 or so. Phil, as I said before, will join the show around 11 o'clock. Um, yesterday, during the course of his press conference, Mike Zimmer was asked about rookie cornerback Mike Hughes. I'm going to play that response and then have Matthew Collar interpret where this might be going. Yeah, Mike did very well for the first time out. Um, you know, we were talking about some of our other corners that, you know, we had their first game out was a little bit different uh, compared to his. I thought he played really well. Um, made a, a couple nice tackles. The, the deep ball on on our sideline down there, he covered it. I thought he was going to intercept it. Uh, he made blitz one time when he was at the nickel and uh, tackled, the, tackled the running back from behind. Um, so he did a lot of really good things. It was, it was uh, a good step in the right direction. All right, Matthew Keller. Uh, if I were a betting person, which I am, just not for any sort of stakes. Um, can milkshakes. You, yeah. You are, uh, the king, mil- you are the king of milkshake Milkshakes bets. or um, friendly gentlemen's bets. I'm a huge fan of those. Okay. Uh, I would say Mike Hughes is a starter on your National Football League team week one. Yesterday, Mike Zimmer also had this to say to us. Uh, so we have a little sort of private session with the beat guys with Zimmer. So I don't have audio of it, but I wrote it at 1500ESPN.com. He says, number one, all he's done is come in and worked. Number two, he's been really good at understanding a lot of the concepts. Our scheme is a lot of man within zones. That's the most difficult thing for these guys to do. They have to do pass-offs. They got to carry. They got to work in and outs with linebackers and different things. And he's done a really good job with that. I think he's a pretty smart kid. Things happen quick for him. This sounds like Mike Hughes has come in and made such a good impression with his intelligence. That's what I listen for. That's the thing with like quotes and stuff like that is you're trying to look for hints and you sort of sift through mm-hmm. like what things matter here. If he just said, you know what, he's really physically gifted and he's very quick and that and he said that stuff, but but that doesn't matter as much to the nickel spot. Like your your quickness is good, but Terrence Newman played that spot effectively last year at 39 years old. It's really what's going on upstairs. Right. And if Hughes understands that, he is a more physically gifted corner, I think by quite a bit, than Mackenzie Alexander. So if they're on the same level of intelligence and Hughes is much more physically gifted, Hughes is getting that job. How difficult is that job, uh, to circle back to your point about what's going on upstairs, how difficult is that job for a rookie to step in, into? Because the intricacies of that position are, I've, I've always thought, or compared it to what I see as a defensive back slash linebacker, Matthew, and, yep. and you know, when you play corner, you have to be very smart. I'm not saying you don't. But when you're inside there and all hell is breaking loose, it's a lot. So what what should be the the realistic expectation of how quickly he can make the jump from from looking good in training camp and exhibition games where teams don't actually install that much to week four where you're going against an entire package of a National Football League offense? I think this is exactly why Zimmer wanted to put him with the first team because he wanted to see just how he would work when playing against the best players on his own team. Uh, you're right that Denver wasn't exactly throwing the house at him, and Paxton Lynch is awful and got demoted to the number 3 quarterback. So it's that? a little bit different. How but, about that swing and a but, miss? But even what you could look at and get from going back through the game, which uh, they didn't put out the coach's tape, but it's just, you know, if you're just looking at the, the TV broadcast, you see Hughes make a number of really good plays and look quite good in his coverage. Uh, so there's always that 
major positive. And if he sees it in practice and he sees it in the film room and he understands all that stuff, uh, it is a very complex position and it takes a lot of quick processing. I think that's more of what it is, is understanding this route means you do this, Mm -hmm. but another route means you do that. So it's not just, oh, you cover your guy. Where it might, with man coverage on the outside, it might just be like, Trey Waynes, you follow that guy around. And Xavier Rhodes, you follow that guy around. But on the inside, it's, okay, so if it's an in-breaking route, on certain defenses, you follow him. On other defenses, you don't. If it's a, a deep route or a slot fade or something, you go with him. But if it's something else, you don't. And that I think. And then there's run fits, too, where you have to know what gap you're supposed to be responsible for when they run the football. So all of this is which very, often, it's which very often hard. Which often gets screwed up. It's, yes. And it, it, all of this is very hard. But it's not impossible. I mean, for a rookie to be able to get it if he's very smart and he works really hard. And the one thing that he has that Mackenzie Alexander didn't, Mackenzie put himself years behind by fighting it, by thinking I'm an outside corner, that's what I am. Why, not- did, why did he do that? I think. I so. mean, the inside, as difficult as that role might be, in 2018, in the heck, for the last four years, that's a starting role. You'll get like, paid. Like there's yeah. no, there is nothing demeaning about that role. Yep. You play what on average probably seventy percent of snaps now. Oh yeah, sixty five yeah. to seventy yep. percent. And you start a lot. Yep. You'll get paid. So yep. I've never understood now, unless you just think you can't play it and are going to be incompetent at at that role, which is possible. I've never understood fighting that one. Yeah, and even Antoine um, Winfield was brilliant. He extended his career because of that. And Miami drafted Minka Fitzpatrick, I believe it was Miami, and he coming out was a, a pure nickel corner, and the the value is really high. Uh, for a nickel corner, especially since a lot of the best wide receivers in the league, and this includes Adam Thielen, play in the slot a lot. So mm-hmm. it's not like you're matching up against bums in there or just like their third guy anymore. It's teams are using starting top wide receivers to slide inside all over the league, and you better be good there. I don't know why Alexander was that way. He is a different kind of dude, I think. Do you think um, he's really changed? Because you, you talked to him on, I think, day one of camp, and, and he gave you, and we've all seen this before, yep, the, hey, yep. I found I found God, and mm-hmm. now I'm a different player. Yep. And we've seen guys where that's legit, and we've seen a lot of guys where you come back in a month and they're back to, they've snapped back to who they were the previous year or two. I was very happy to write down all the quotes and post them on our website. Um, but as far as how I felt about it, I thought, okay, you're now really here in the the footsteps with Hughes because you're in practice every day and you're in those meetings and you see he's smart and not only smart, but he is willing to accept all the coaching that Terrence Newman is willing to give and Xavier Rhodes is willing to give, which you weren't for your first year. And then there's just the pure fact that you're not as talented as him. So now all of a sudden you're okay with walking over to the media and giving a 10 minute interview when last year in camp, he wouldn't speak to us. And I'm not saying that I care about that. I'm just saying if you're the nickel corner who hasn't done anything or won a job yet, why are you acting like this toward your teammates, toward your coaches, toward the media? You're a politician. And, and it set him back. You're a politician. I mean, you're you're stumping for that job, and you think, probably 1,000% wrong, but you think if I'm friendly to the press now, they'll give, give me a break, and, and, and the press might do that. It doesn't, at that point, matter one bit. Mackenzie Alexander also knows, though, I think the starting point is this. He also knows damn well that the Minnesota Vikings passed on taking a guard in the first round of that draft to take Mike Hughes. Correct. And yep. and you're not a first-round pick, and you are very aware that the team, no pun intended, punted on a position it desperately needed help at because it valued Hughes so much. Yep. 
So I think that it isn't just like, oh, I'm going to talk to the media now. It's more of, oh, my whole attitude has changed. My whole outlook has changed. And maybe that's true. And maybe he did grow up a little bit. But this is how tough pro sports is. Too little, too late. They didn't believe in you. They drafted somebody else. He's a better player. He's going to start. I mean, I, I don't know that for sure. But if he is even close mentally to yep. Alexander, yep. he is a better player. And you saw it last year at times with Alexander. I mean, the best example is the music, uh, the Minneapolis Miracle Game, which is where it's fourth down and 10, and they need good coverage there from Alexander, and, he, and he's not there. Yep. So even though he deserves to be in the nickel spot um, because he's probably better than Terrence Newman now, if Hughes picks it up, continues to pick it up this fast. I also think Zimmer said too yesterday that he wanted to see how Alexander reacted to this. I as saw well. that quote. Yeah. So that's that's an element of it too. Of like, hey, the, your job is not guaranteed to you. The two thoughts that came to my mind was one: Mike doesn't praise young players unless he means it. Like he doesn't Agreed. go around. He yes. does. He doesn't yes. go around saying yeah. we drafted this guy early, and I just love him. He. He is an old school football guy. So when when he praises, especially a, a defensive back, which is his forte, I mean that's Mike's love, pride, and joy. Yep. So when he praises that position or a young player at that position, it means a lot. I think you hit it though. I think Mackenzie Alexander. I think whatever trust they thought they could put in, in him was taken away in that Saints game. Yep. I, I think when you're not at the right place in a situation and you're and you were what in year two at that point because mm-hmm. he, he's in year three now. And you're in that crucial of game, and you are in at what then is your 17th game of the season, and you still can't do it. I think Zimmer is more than willing to help and teach and be in guys' back pockets as far as defensive backs go, Collar. But I also think he probably gets to a point where he says, I just can't trust you. And I think that play, I think that play might have been, it might have been the difference between drafting a guard in the first round and drafting Mike Hughes. And I still. <laughs> I still think they should have drafted a guard. Sure, and I don't um, disagree with you, but I'm just saying I think that might have been where he said I can't, I can't go down this path with this kid. But it's hard not to be impressed by Hughes from what I've seen in practice, from what I saw in the preseason game, and then what you hear about him, the intellectual part, because they will, these guys will give you some sort of hint if somebody's behind. You know, they, they, at least this team will. Maybe other teams are better at this, but this team isn't too good at hiding its hand. I mean, if it's like Delvin Cook last year. With Delvin Cook, it it was like he got here, and they all just went, oh, my gosh, this guy is amazing. Yep. Now, I don't know if it's quite that effect with Hughes. It's kind of been like we're bringing him along, we're bringing him along. And then all of a sudden now, since he played so well, it's like, okay, well, I think we can really praise him now for this. But with uh, with these young players, you're right, that they're willing to say, no, you really have to watch this guy. Elfline was the same thing last year. Like you've really got to right. watch this guy because we're super impressed. And if they're not, it'll be like, well, you know, he's got to come along on this. They're not going to trash a rookie necessarily who's a draft pick, but they'll give you hints to where it's going. And Mike Hughes' stock is rising. I think Zimmer praising a young defensive back is the highest praise that can be thrown around by that team yep. because that's his position. Like I think if he praises an offensive player. A young one, okay, that's great, that's cool, and Cook is a great player. But I think when he takes a player, I mean that his Zimmer's first training camp here, Collar, I can't tell you how much he followed Rhodes around and worked and worked and worked. And I don't recall him praising him. Mm-hmm. I just recall him basic basically taking a player who we thought was pretty good, you know, not bad, he's not bad, and making him in, into a Pro Bowl player. 
But for him to immediately, basically, jump on a guy like Mike Hughes, who plays a position where where Zim knows the technique backwards and forwards, mm-hmm. means a lot more to me because I think he would be loath to do that if he didn't absolutely believe that this kid was good. Especially the nickel spot, because he knows how hard that is. So, I mean, at least for right now, uh, I am going to go forward thinking that he will win that job. But, you know, we'll see, because we've got another preseason game coming up, and then... You know, oh, and you got joint practice. And don't here. forget, you got joint practices, We do too. have joint practices, yes. Joint practices, uh, in which Blake Bortles is going to be trying to... Tear apart that Viking defense. So ultimately, what this could mean long term, though, is as much as everyone in the organization, I think, likes Trey Wayne's direction. Now, here's a good example, actually. So Mike Zimmer was asked about Trey Wayne's yesterday, and he said he's a good corner right now. And to get to the next level, he's going to have to learn to get his head around and make plays on the football. And that's an interesting example of just even this corner who was really good last year, Zimmer is still willing to give kind of a critique of like, yeah, you know, he's still got a ways to go. I think that this year we will see opposing quarterbacks try to target Trey Wayne's even more, which they did a lot last year, but even more and will have more success because of the caliber of quarterback, because you have a lot of quarterbacks in the league this year that you're playing who will not be afraid to throw the ball when Trey Waynes is on top of someone. Yep. Where last year, a lot of the quarterbacks they played, the Brett Hundley, the Andy Dalton, they were they were afraid of that. Incapable. And, and when did when did Waynes struggle? Beginning of the year when they faced Big Ben and Drew Brees. I think Trey Waynes, when, when his contract is up, is gone. I think that too, I don't especially think with the way he was. And I gone. think and and I think the the uh, counter to that from a Vikings fan would be, but wait, wait, wait. Mike drafts cornerbacks, loves them, and develops them. I think Zimmer has enough confidence in himself to bring in, in new guys, teach them, and play them back there. Yep. Like, yep. I think he has such confidence, and he probably should. He has such confidence in his ability to teach and identify talent that that unless it's a, a player like Rhodes, who's just off the charts, phenomenal, I think Zimmer thinks to himself, I can find the next Trey Waynes, and in fact, I could probably find an improvement on that player. And with somebody... Like somebody's gonna have to go, yeah. right? I mean, with the salary cap situation, at some point, someone has to go, mm-hmm. and I might be Anthony Barr because we haven't made any progress on his contract situation at this point, or at least it seems uh, haven't heard of any progress, and it it just doesn't seem like there's buzz toward a contract even coming. You know, like with Diggs, it sort of felt like it was there. Like, okay, they really it's weird. Want, they'll you know they'll pop I mean? those things quick. Yeah, that's like, true. I can't read that's that. True. I can't read that because with Diggs, I I thought Diggs would wait a while at least, yeah, and then it just popped. But I felt like there was but buzz the bar there, thing. Fe- but the bar thing does feel odd. It does. It just yeah. feels odd. It does not feel like they're close to a contract, yeah. and he might be the guy that opens up some some contract space. But eventually, down the road here, it might be Trey Wayne's too. He's on. He's gonna have his. He's gonna be on his fifth year option next year. But he mm-hmm. might long term be the guy that has to go. Uh, 651-646-8255 if you'd like to join the conversation. What does a prominent NFL defensive back think of Kirk Cousins? We'll find out next. Don't go anywhere. More Mackie and Judd coming up next. Just hold your ass right there. On 1500 ESPN. Bill Mackie, Judd Zolgad. Like this is Mackie and Judd on 1500 ESPN. Registration is underway for the 37th edition of the Medtronic Twin Cities Marathon running from downtown Minneapolis to the state capitol grounds in St. Paul on Sunday, October 7th. 
Accomplish a bold feat while savoring the scenic beauty as two cities cheer you on. Run the most revered event in Minnesota running, and that's the Medtronic Twin Cities Marathon. Details can be found at 1500ESPN.com. Keyword events. Judd Zolgad, Matthew Collar. We're going to get to uh, a prominent NFL defensive back talking about Kirk Cousins in a second here, but let's run a call first. Hey, Paul, what's up? Hey, I got two questions. Uh, the first not being, but what is what is our starting tight end's name? Kyle Rudolph? Yeah, Kyle Rudolph. Yep. Can, you ask, or can you answer what are his yards after the catch? I'll give him a six-foot eight. And so I'll give him the two yards when he falls forward. But <laughs> but beyond that, what are his yards after the catch? And second question is, is it what are the chances that the Vikings might trade one of these defensive backs or uh, someone who isn't going to start for us for an offensive lineman? Okay, Thanks, qu- Paul. Uh, question number one, I think, was a rhetorical question. So I'll just agree with you, but also say that... Um, how could I put this right? You know, maybe you are, uh, maybe you're dating someone and you just can't stop focusing on their shortcomings. And you just say, you know what? I think we got to break up. I, you just, you leave the socks all around and I keep asking you to pick them up and you, you just won't stop. And I, we're, we're just done. I'm so tired of this laundry issue. And then, uh, then you date somebody else and they're a um, sociopath and you're like, oh, oh. I really shouldn't have made so much of the socks. The toothpaste being off the <laughs> yes. tube really wasn't, or the cap wasn't that big a deal, sweetheart. That's Kyle Rudolph. Because <laughs> I understand Kyle Rudolph. <laughs> I love it. I understand. That was too good. That, that was fantastic. Okay, Kyle sorry. Rudolph is not a great blocker. Yeah. Kyle Rudolph does not run a 4-4. Yeah. He catches everything that comes his way. He had the lowest drop rate in the NFL last year among tight ends. Number one. He is open in the red zone even when he's not open. You could toss the ball up to him at the back of the end zone, and he will reach up and grab it. And on third down last year, he was actually quite good because Pat Shermer found sneaky little ways to get him the ball because other teams felt the same way as our caller of like, oh, well, he's not really a threat on this particular play on a, on a third and short, or they won't throw him a screen, and they would do that, and he'd get the three yards required. So it's not perfect. He's not Travis Kelsey, he's not Zach Ertz, but he's a good NFL tight end. That's where you have to stand right now, I mm-hmm. think. And if you think someone else is going to come up and take his job that they have now, you're wrong. That, that, they, be, that being said, uh, quickly here, though, he is a candidate probably to have his contract reworked after yeah. 2018, correct? Yeah, that's true, okay. yep, but they have no answer behind him. And you know how many good tight ends there are in the league? Like six or seven. Uh, of all the tight ends in the league, ones who are effective in even some way or another, yep. there's only a, a couple. And and the, but the ones who are really good get so much pub that it's kind of like the um, the the bikini models or whatever who also have like uh, MBA from Harvard, like they get on the magazines. So yep. you're like, oh, I just want one of those. You're like, well, look, I get that, but she's probably not going to date you. So right. yeah, you got no chance. Yeah. Um, so you should probably just focus so on being happy next, with the person that you have. Is Kyle in the next tier, <laughs> in tier two then? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. One hundred percent. So it's tier. Yeah. It's tier one it's, with the Gronk is number one. Yep. Ertz is number two. Kelsey's number three. Uh, Delaney Walker is probably right after that from Tennessee. And are they all tier one? The, easily, all tier easily one. tier one. And then tier two has passed that though. Is Kyle Rudolph. Sure. Like, he's probably your seventh or eighth best tight end in the league. So when you get upset that he's not running after catch, remember that he caught it. 
because a lot of the other tight ends are not open, don't catch it, and are not a red zone threat. So there's there's the big Kyle Rudolph answer. All right. Uh, when it comes to making a trade, well, they made one last year for a cornerback in Tremaine Brock. So even though he made no impact on the team, that was a trade that they made. Trades toward the end of camp are always possible. And I don't see a very good offensive line answer right now mm-hmm. in Tom Compton or Danny Sedora or Aviant Collins. I don't think any of those guys are starting players in the NFL at this very moment. Isadora maybe has the best chance there. So, yeah, uh, I don't know about trading a one-for-one, but if somebody is going to cut a veteran guard and they call around and they say, look, will you give us a sixth or a conditional fifth or something? This is what I think. Yeah. Yes. The answer is yes. I think this is what they do. So I think I don't that, know at what point, but yeah. I think this is what. So I I 100% think that they will be making phone calls as we lead up to the end of camp. Maybe the Jaguars will forget alignment here. Like he'll defect. He'll defect to the Vikings. Yeah, he probably would like to. Well, yeah. The I mean, ja- it's the nice. Jaguars, the weather's nicer in Jacksonville in December, but actually, you know, you know what the most potentially, and I'm not being a, a smart ass here. You know what the what the benefit of this entire joint practice might be for two days. Word of mouth is going to start to spread about the TCO Performance Center. Yeah. And because if the Vikings players are like, oh, you should come see our facility, you'd be like, yeah, you play for the Vikings, right? Right. But if I'm with Jacksonville, and I, and by the way, I got to live in Jacksonville. Oh, God help you. <laughs> I mean, Northern Florida is awful. And I like Florida, but Northern Jacksonville is just crap. And I got to live in Jacksonville <laughs> and I get up here to this place and I see this place. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, one, your training camp is held here. It's fantastic. Two, it's nice and cool here. So I, and yeah, it's humid, but nothing compared to Florida, right? Or at Atlanta, basically, because Jacksonville is basically Georgia. So, I think you're going to get a lot of guys be like, that was unbelievable. That place was great. And meanwhile, I'm stuck in Jacksonville. We all should get out of Buffalo and Jacksonville. Everyone wants to get out of Buffalo anyway. And, and what a, you know, <laughs> any potential hellhole. Uh, but as, as far as um, as, as far as what the TCO Performance Center does, I think it does help them keep players. They're not going to have any money to spend to get anybody here. But it because they spent it on all the guys that they are going to keep. Well, right now, but they will, but they will again next next summer or next spring. I should. I say, was just thinking, kind of like when um, you know the Dominican baseball team would come over and play, and somebody. Oh, you're out talking the about the old the school defection. Yeah. yeah. No, and uh, when that could be the Jaguars. When I was a kid, that that <laughs> was prevalent in hockey. Oh, with the Russians. The Russians yeah. were de- and Czechoslovakia. Yeah. They they would defect and come play. That that's how at least it started. Where you'd get players who would, de- in fact, the North Stars had a defenseman, Frankie Musil was his name, and I think they snuck him out of Czechoslovakia with Louis in a car, Nanny in a car, and I think Frankie was in the trunk. So there's a great so story with man. Alex Mogilny, where yeah. a guy that I know, Don Luce, who is a um, former NHL player, and I know, then I remember Don. Luce. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Back in the day, I'm not proud of that, but I remember him. Great guy. So I got to know him a little bit in Buffalo, and he was over in Russia, literally sneaking Alex Mogilny to the airport in the same sort of thing. It was like some James Bond stuff. It uh-huh. was it, it was great. So yeah. maybe they could find a guard that they like on Jacksonville's roster and sort of you know sneak him out of the hotel. They're going to look around him. the plane. Yep. to go home to Jacksonville. It's going to be like, where's Ted? <laughs> yeah, and then what happened to Ted? And then Ted just takes another guy's number and and roster name, and you're just like, wait a minute. 
I thought that guy was a little bit taller. Like Cedric Lang, like he looks no, a little different not, today. You know? He looks a little more stout than he did yesterday. That's not Ted. <laughs> if uh, if Bortles wanted to defect, would you would you tell him he had to go back? Would oh, you not accept him? Hard hard pass on Blake, Blake Bortles. Blake, I'm sure you love Jacksonville. Your family's down there, right? <laughs> you don't want any part of Minnesota, Blake. No matter what I say about Kirk Cousins, he th- you know, the Vikings fans can thank goodness he's not Blake Bortles. And why the Jacksonville Jaguars stayed with Blake, I will never understand. I don't get it either. It's like that was the one piece move on from that piece. Go get Teddy. Uh, speaking of Teddy, I'd rather get Teddy. I, I do want to get to Jalen Ramsey and what he had to say about Kirk Cousins uh, in the next segment. But also there's some intriguing news out of New York on Teddy. Assume the position. More Mackie and Judd coming up next on 1500 ESPN. Mackie and Judd now continue. Well, here we are again. Yeah. On fifteen hundred ESPN. Football! Football! Yeah! Football! Hi, Matthew Keller. Give us the lowdown before we get to the uh, Jalen Ramsey talking about quarterbacks. Give us the lowdown on your tease. What's up with Teddy Bridgewater? Oh, okay. Oh, sorry, I had. Oh, it's okay. Other, I had the other thing. Take up. your time. I had the Casual conversation. Yep. Just moving on. Casual here. conversation. Twitter.com. Okay. So from Manish Meta of the New York Daily News, one of my favorite. Reporters there. Well respected. Um, he says he posted an article this morning saying, Will the Jets turn a $1 million investment in Teddy Bridgewater into a premium draft pick or building block player? With confidence in Sam Darnold growing every day, the Jets are open for business, but he says not everyone wants to trade Bridgewater per sources. So mm. internally, the Jets seem to be battling a little over what to do with their quarterback situation. And here is the problem for the New York Jets. Where would they trade him? I can't find a spot. Well, didn't we talk about this? Right now, there's not a spot, but there inevitably will be a spot. Someone I mean, will somebody, get hurt. Yes. somebody, hopefully it won't be as sincere, but somebody's going to have happened to them what happened to the Vikings with Teddy a couple of years ago. Right. Like some, a quarterback's knee is going to crumble. Yeah, so, or, or just so get fallen on if you're or the, something. Yeah. If you're the Jets and you want to trade him and turn him into a high draft pick, you're not even giving thought to that trade right now. Right. You're giving thought to, let's just let this play out because nature will take its course, and eventually we're going to get a call from a panic-stricken GM who might be willing to give us a first-round pick or a second-round pick for sure. Right, yeah. And that's usually the going price is either a, a first or a second, and that's what... You know, the, the Vikings were in more of a panicked position because they felt like they could be a Super Bowl contender in 2016, and I don't disagree with them. Yep. I, I went through it yesterday. Just you know how this goes where we're in day 69 of camp here, and it's just been like so long, and so we're, we're just talking about whatever. And we ended up going back through the 2016 season and found we found them, I believe, 12-4. and four. Like if a bunch of if a bunch of small little things hadn't happened, they could have been twelve and four in two thousand sixteen, or at least eleven and five. Yeah. So if you remember the crazy kick from Matt Prater, yep. that's one. Yep, they the, win that game against Detroit. The late game interception against Detroit, that's two. Yep. The late game interception against Washington, that's three. Right off the top of my head. Yep. So you could have been right there at least eleven and five on just those three plays. Well, they they legitimately in two thousand sixteen they legitimately lost how many games? They legitimately lost at Philadelphia when when they were five and zero, and Mike got mad. That was a legit loss, if I recall correctly. They legitimately did not try and or gave up and or something weird happened against the Colts. Yes. So, like, to pull that game out would have taken a complete reversal of that of that entire team. 
So that's two legit losses. I think the loss at Green Bay for sure. But there were not, yeah, I mean, th- there were a lot of close calls, and you're right, they could have easily swept Detroit. Yeah, so easily. Uh, anyway, that just sort of justifies what they were thinking, and maybe another team would be thinking the same thing. I mean, even the Jaguars, they seem to be committed to Bortles, but if he got hurt, they would be the exact type of team who'd want to trade for Bridgewater. But if they're going through this, I mean, Sam Darnold was the youngest of all the quarterbacks to come out. Yep. There isn't really any reason to rush him. Well, that's what I was going to ask you. So if they, if you were the Jets, would you would you rethink this and think Darnold looks good so far? But you're right. There's no reason. There is this whole notion of having to rush first round QBs to me is an unnecessary thing. Like you don't need to do it. Everybody now is convinced. Oh my God! If my guy, if my first round rookie quarterback's not playing by week four, it's all gone wrong. But that's not true. Would the Jets be wise to say, you know what, Teddy's playing really well. Let's make him the starter. Let's give Darnold time. And eventually Sam will start. But, you know, what's the very worst case? Teddy comes out and plays fantastic and starts 16 games. Yeah. So and the- Sam Darnold doesn't have to start. And I, I am convinced that for the majority of rookie quarterbacks benefit from not having to play because as Polian talked about, and he's right, there's so much going on behind the scenes with meetings and strategies mm-hmm. and stuff that if you just spend the entire rookie year as a quarterback learning, it's not a bad thing. It's not an evil. The uh, tightrope that they have to walk is that Teddy Bridgewater's value might be at its highest right now. I mean, he was really good the other night. I mean, not just like, okay, he was really good. He was driving the ball. He ran at one point. He looked comfortable in the pocket. He was patient going through his reads. He was accurate. And that's what they've seen every day in training camp. So he's been really good. But you don't know what it's going to be like in real games still. So if he struggles or he has another injury or the knee just doesn't hold up and after five games of starting, then whatever value you had just went entirely in the tank. So they're kind of playing this weird game of chicken with trading Teddy Bridgewater that they might miss their opportunity entirely if it doesn't work out. Yeah. Or if he came in and played really well, but they lost a few games and they wanted to turn it over to Darnold and then someone else got hurt, they might have a, an extremely valuable asset. But then there's the other part of you got to do it soon enough where he's going to be able to learn the offense and play in it. I mean, mid-season, you remember Carson Palmer going to the Raiders, right? Yeah, mid-season. Mid-season is a disaster for a quarterback. But you could do it two weeks before with somebody who's really smart like Bridgewater. If you're the Jets, don't you play that game out? Like, I take my chances. And if his knee goes, it goes. But I think if I'm the Jets, I'm very tempted to say, let's just play this out. and, And if it's a game of chicken and we lose, we lose. But I would be tempted to start him, and I would be tempted to see, hey, if he plays well for a season for us, that's great. The other team, I think, that might come calling at some point here because they've left themselves in a terrible position, and and they are a they're a team that's expected to do a lot. It's the Rams. There's nothing behind Jared Goff. That's right. There yep. is. I mean, if Jared Goff's uh, leg goes out, yep. there's no one behind Sean him. Sean Mannion. Yeah, Sean Mannion's a joke. Uh, I mean, Sean Mannion can't play. So. They, they've left themselves in that vulnerable spot that the Vikings did with Sean Hill, where if something happens to Goff, yep. you can't just stand still. you got to go get something. And from a pure talent perspective, if Teddy Bridgewater is healthy, if he's the same Teddy Bridgewater, I think he is a more talented quarterback than Jared Goff. I think he's a better quarterback than Goff. So if Goff but Goff is, is definitely in that category. Uh, the team that is on our NFL network right now, Cincinnati. I mean, who's behind and by the way, we Andy are watching, Dalton? Yeah, we are watching a are replay watching 
of Chicago and Cincinnati because football. Uh, let me just tell you what Jalen Ramsey, who's not coming because he is suspended by the team for this week of practices for calling out local media. Oh, okay. Matt Barkley is their backup. So, yeah, exactly. So good luck with that. Yeah, Matt Barkley's good. Yeah. Uh, eight touchdowns, 18 picks for his career. So. Yeah, if uh, Andy Dalton goes down, that's a team that could come calling. On Kirk Cousins, in a GQ article where they just asked him about a bunch of quarterbacks, he said, quote, I think he's good. I think he's a winner. I think he's a hell of a competitor. Coming off the play action, he's the best quarterback in the league. Play action passing, he's a hell of a quarterback. That's what he says about Kirk Cousins. Now, if you think, well, you know, he's just saying nice things about everybody. I could tell you that that is not true because in this same article, he demolished Josh Allen and said, I think Josh Allen is trash. He said, I don't care what anybody says. He's trash and he's going to show it too. By the way, me and Jalen Ramsey might be the same person. Uh, that's a stupid draft pick to, to me. This is what he said. This is a stupid draft pick to me. We play them this year and I'm excited as hell. That's what Jalen Ramsey said. He said that he thinks that Joe Flacco, quote, sucks and that they should play Lamar Jackson. So he's not elite? He says that Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady are great. Tyrod Taylor is better than people think. That's probably true. And Matt Ryan is overrated. Now, that's where I might diverge a little bit, but I... Does he explain why he thinks that about Matt Ryan? Uh, I'm missing that part of it, because um, it's, a, it's a really long so article I'm, where he goes I'm through sorry, a bunch go, of different people. Uh, go back and tell us what he said about Cousins again. He said that Cousins is the best play-action quarterback in the league, which is backed up by... Ooh, that's going to um, That's going to be good. It's backed up by his numbers. But, oh, okay, so he thinks that Julio Jones makes Matt Ryan better. He also thinks Antonio Brown makes Ben Roethlisberger better, mm-hmm. which I agree with both of those things. Any elite wide receiver is going to make you better, especially with Roethlisberger in his later career. I think he's played worse, Yeah, but Antonio Brown has made up a lot of the difference. So Jalen Ramsey... The most honest man in sports taking the crown for Mike Zimmer here. Uh, 651-646-8255. If you would like to join the conversation, Bob, hang on. You will be uh, first up when we uh, come out of the next break. More Vikings talk, Zolgad and Collar. The show is Mackie and Judd after this. Sit tight. The Mackie and Judd show will continue in a moment. Do I have your word on that, sir? Mackie and Judd. Absolutely. On 1500 ESPN.